Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson will be an extensive lesson. It'll be a prophetic lesson. It will be a lesson of self-examination, brothers and sisters. I encourage you to write these precepts down, brothers and sisters. Pray on what you learned today and make the, the proper application. Uh, we're going to start in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. We're going to have Brother Corey read verse 2 and 3. Let's so, Just to get some context here. Matthew 22, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bitten to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. So here it is, brothers and sisters, the setting is a marriage, right? We know according to, <clears throat> excuse me, according to the Bible, there is a narrative throughout the Bible as Christ being what? The bridegroom, right? So we know that that means the king would be who? The most high, brothers and sisters. The text tells you that a king bid people or invited people to a wedding for his son. All right. So let's read that one more time. Read verse two one more time, please, brother. Matthew 22, verse two. The kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Now look at this. There was an invitation extended, right? But they did what? According to the text, they refused. Verse four. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Now, this is key. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters, because when you invite somebody over, let's say, to your house for a dinner or you extend invitations, you need to know who's coming. Why? Because that determines the seating. That determines uh, how much wine is going to be there. If, if there's wine, that determines how much food will be there. Right. So this is key. Don't miss this part, brothers and sisters, because that's why he gave the background of saying, listen, the dinner is prepared. The oxen, the fatlings, all of this was here, yet people did what? They rejected, right? Let's jump to verse 11 through 13, brothers and sisters. Please follow us there. Matthew 22 and 11. <clears throat> and when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, brothers and sisters, after all the guests were assembled, the king spotted a man bereft of a wedding garment. Take a look at it one more time. Could you read verse 11, brother? Verse 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the text, the wedding feast is an open invitation, but there is a dress code. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Examine, examine 
excuse me, examine the king's swift action. What did the king do, brother? Verse 13. Then said the king to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So brothers and sisters, the parable of the wedding garment opens before us a lesson of the highest consequence. The parable teaches us that there's a preparation to be made by all who will attend the feast. This is critical, brothers and sisters, because according to what we see in this parable, there's an open invitation, yet there's still a dress code. And we're going to deal with that dress code. We're going to read those three scriptures one more time, 11 through 13, and then we'll move on, brothers and sisters. Matthew 22 and 11. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither having not a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to, to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, the guest, it tells you all the way up from verse 3, 4, that he was bidding these guests. And guess what? The guests do not enter the wedding immediately. So time was given to them to clothe themselves in the proper attire provided by the king. See, when you're affluent, brothers and sisters, and there is a dress code, especially if you if you study kingdoms, brothers and sisters, if you look in history, all, not just the Bible, but throughout the world, the king would provide the garments. That's why he needed to know who was there. See that, brothers and sisters? You didn't even have to provide your own garment. He provided the garment for you. And here it was, a brother, for whatever reason, <laughs> decided to to come improperly dressed. And they said, what? Bind him hand and foot, take him away. You can't even be in the presence of the king in a certain manner, dressed in a certain way. Now, that's the parable, brothers and sisters. That's also the principle that we're going to deal with today. Let us show you, let us prove, brothers and sisters, that your dress code, your spiritual dress code, it has great importance. Let's go to Zephaniah. Let's stay in the old. Let's go to the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Zephaniah, the first chapter, the seventh and the eighth verse. Take a look at this, please. Zephaniah one, verse seven. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. Look at that closely, because this passage introduces the day of the Lord. As a day of sacrifice. Can you read that one more time brother? Zephaniah 1 and 7. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice. That I will punish the princes and the king's children. And, as, and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. Now that's key, brothers and sisters, because a prince is who? A prince is the child of a king, right? So according to the text, judgment began where? In the royal house, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Now we know who's in the royal house. <laughs> the royal people, the children of Israel. So according to the text here, Let's read it one more time. Take it. Take a look at verse 7, because this is the precept, brothers and sisters. Pre, uh, verse 7 and 8 are the precepts from Matthew, the 22nd chapter. They fit flawlessly. Zephaniah 1, verse 7. 
Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. That's key right there. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. Why? Because when you look at Matthew, the 22nd chapter, the 12th verse, when the king, when the, when the king inquired why the brother was, was not dressed properly, it said he was speechless. That's key. Because when you're in the presence of the Most High, you don't talk. <laughs> okay? Your clothes will do the talking for you. And that fits flawlessly with this verse. Let's read that one more time, brother. Zephaniah 1 and 7. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. Clothed with what, brother? With strange apparel. So there's a clear delineation between what is acceptable apparel and what is not, brothers and sisters. If you look closely, the text teaches us that before approaching the throne, you must capitulate to the dress code or suffer judgment. You see, he said, I will punish the king's children and those who are clothed in strange apparel. So the implication is there is something the Most High would consider strange apparel, brothers and sisters, and it would behoove all of us to find out what that is. So we already see that in these two texts, there will be no speaking in the presence of the king. Your apparel will speak for you. You're not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to be able to talk your way out of why you have on the improper clothing, brothers and sisters. And that's critical that you, it's critical that you internalize that particular principle from these two texts. Because I know a lot of people think that they're going to get in front of the Most High on that day and explain it off or explain certain things off. And there will be no talking, brothers and sisters. There'll be no talking. Let's go to Genesis 41 to show you about the, how, how important garments are, brothers and sisters, in the narrative of the Bible. We're going to read verse 1, then we'll have Brother Corey read verse 8, and then we'll have him read verse 14. We're just going to hit the points that we need. You can go back and read this entire chapter if you, if you feel led to. Genesis 41, verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. Now, we know that Pharaoh, if you know the story of Joseph, while Joseph was in prison, Pharaoh had a dream. That, that the Most High sent to him about seven years famine, right, brothers and sisters? Now, there was only one person who could tell this dream, and it was Joseph. This was Joseph's way out of prison. So this is where we find ourselves in Genesis, Genesis the 41st chapter. It tells you two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, right? Let's jump to verse 8, brothers and sisters. Genesis 41 and 8. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. Who did he call for, brother? All the magicians of Egypt. Now that's key, brothers and sisters, because here it was, the president, the king. Essentially, the president or the king, the first people he called for is magicians, is necromancers, brothers and sisters. And that has not changed, okay? That has not changed. When you turn, when you look at the dollar bill, the American dollar bill, what is on the back of there? Egyptian pyramids, Egyptian symbology. They're, they're dealing with the same exact blueprint that they learned from Egypt. 
and not just the sorcery and the magicians, also the enslaved, the, you know, the slavery of the children of Israel. That came from Egypt also, brothers and sisters. They didn't put that symbology on the back of the dollar for no reason. We just wanted to show you that all the presidents, all the kings in this wicked world have necromances in close connection with them, giving them directions. Verse 8. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. But there was what, brother? But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. None of them could interpret. Let's jump to verse 14. Let's find out who was able. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself. What did he do, brother? And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. Now that's key. Because before Joseph appeared before Pharaoh, he had a change of garment. Brothers and sisters, he could not have appeared before the king with the old garment. That's the principle there. I need you to closely examine Joseph's behavior preceding his approach to the throne. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. So the text teaches us that there was a distinction between what was acceptable and unacceptable when approaching the king. That's critical because what about the Most High? This was a man. This was a flesh and blood man. <laughs> this was a Pharaoh. And it's, it's showing you that what? When you're dealing with rulership, when you're dealing with that level of authority, you have to have the proper garments on. It would be, it would be considered a sign of disrespect, brothers and sisters. So what do we see here? According to the text, hygiene and cleanliness was of the utmost importance, even in the Egyptian empire, brothers and sisters. Now, remember, you link this with, uh, with Zechariah, excuse me, Zephaniah. And you link that with Matthew, the 22nd chapter, where a brother came into a garment improperly clothed, right? And that links with Zach, uh, Zephaniah, where a brother, it tells you that he will judge all those who, who wear strange apparel. So all of this, this narrative is, is all throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters. So we have, to, we have to start to read the Bible with a different eye and not... You know, not miss certain what we may deem as small, uh, you know, as small things in the Bible that hold tremendous significance. This is one of those, brothers and sisters. Clothing represents character in the Bible. You can see this all throughout the manuscript. Remember Joseph. So here Joseph had on what? Joseph had on prison clothes. But what did Joseph have before he was sold into slavery? Coat of many colors, right? What did what was going on with Jacob and Esau, right? Putting on the goat's hair and, and all this, right? So there is a narrative throughout the manuscript about clothing, brothers and sisters, and its significance to the theme of the Bible. We'll talk about that today. Let's go to Zechariah, brother. We've been to Zephaniah, now we're going to Zechariah. Zechariah, the third chapter, the first through the fifth verse. Zechariah 3, <clears throat> verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. 
and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? So look at this, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Zechariah saw Joshua the high priest in the presence of the Most High. Who else was there? Satan, the accuser of the brethren, right? Can you read that one more time, verse 2, brother? Verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. What was he clothed in, brother? With filthy garments and stood before the angel. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Joshua is described as one clothed with filthy garments, which is a clear indication of sin. We'll, we'll see that. Verse 4. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. And I will clothe thee with change of raiment. I will clothe thee with change of raiment. So he not only removes the filthy garments, but also clothes Joshua with pure vestments. Proving what? That in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, the wedding garment is provided. <laughs> okay? The wedding garment is provided. Not only did he derobe Joshua, he provided him with some... Some new apparel, some new raiment, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? Let's jump back to verse 3. Zechariah 3 and 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now he stood before the angel. This is symbolizes the presence of the Most High because the angel is representing the Most High, brothers and sisters. Verse 4. And he, at, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And, and I said, Let them set a fair metre upon his head. So they set a fair metre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. So what you'll find, brothers and sisters, is that we all wear a spiritual garment which is not visible and can neither be clean or unclean. So this is key, brothers and sisters. We're all wearing a spiritual garment, every last one of us. And that's what Zechariah was seeing here. And notice, if you know anything about the priest's garments or his garbs, verse 5 is the apparel of a high priest. So Joshua was the high priest. And it's telling you that he was his garments was stained with the sin of our people. A fair metri. Only the high priest wore the metri, brothers and sisters. So this is key here. We'll learn that what? The proper garments are required when coming into the presence of the holy God. Even here, Zechariah was seeing this. Before you come into the presence, you have to derobe and then be reclothed, brothers and sisters. This is key. Do not be the wedding crasher. Do not be that brother or that sister that come in with un, you know, unacceptable garments, brothers and sisters, because according to the text, you will be bound and thrown out into outer darkness. See, and it's not talking about your physical <clears throat> garments, brothers and sisters. It's actually duplicitous because you also know, you can look at a person's uniform or their clothing and kind of 
making a you know an assumption on what type of person this is. If I see a brother walking around with a, a badge and you know a badge and a gun on his hip, I'm probably gonna think he's the police, brothers and sisters. If I see a sister with a harlot's uniform on, you know, pink hair, purple hair, blue hair, red hair, red lipstick, high pumps, clear heels. I'm probably going to think she's a streetwalker, brothers and sisters. So it's, I mean, we're dealing, we're being realistic. I know in these days, you really can't, you know, can't, you have to agree with everything that everyone says. But men and women of God don't do that. There's, there's something considered right and wrong. And we're going to go into that today, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Isaiah. Because we wanted to show you that what? Before you go into the presence of the king, you must be properly dressed. And you can find that, that narrative all throughout the Bible. Isaiah 64 and 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So, brothers and sisters, when our spiritual garment is filthy, it means our spirit is polluted or defiled due to sin. Iniquities is what, brothers and sisters? According to Psalms, we know iniquities are invisible sin. So, they're the ones that actually another brother or sister can't view about you. Only the Most High can see those sins because they're down in a thought level. Can you read that one more time, brother? Isaiah 64 and 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Brothers and sisters, when you actually look at that filthy rags in its original uh, <laughs> its original text, it actually says a menstrual cloth, brothers and sisters. So Isaiah is telling you all of our righteousness, Israel, is as a menstrual cloth, right? And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So here the Most High inspires Isaiah to warn the children of Israel that all of our righteousness are like filthy rags or a menstruous cloth. Brothers and sisters, and guess what? Isaiah employed that imagery of a menstrual cloth to convey a picture of iniquity or uncleanliness to our people. This is key here, brothers and sisters. We're not talking about your, what you're wearing right now, okay? You can learn some things about that also, because the, the Bible is always, it's always has dual meanings. It always has dual meanings. It has a physical meaning, and it has a spiritual meaning. Many of our people just stay on the physical. That's what the Pharisees would do. They could never see anything spiritual. They could only see the physical part, the tangible part. And that's good, brothers and sisters. As a beginner, that's where you want to be at. But you're also, through your growth, you're going to need to step up to, to see things with a spiritual eye, brothers and sisters. And if we will help. We will help that, most high willing, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that our all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, including me, brothers and sisters, including me. So we all are filthy. We all have on unclean garments until we get some new garments, right? Until we find out how to clean what we're wearing now, currently. So we have to deal with that today. Because there's no person listening to this broadcast that can say, well, nah, <laughs> I'm fully dressed. I'm fully dressed in the garments of salvation. I, I don't, my garments are clean. Let's read that one more time, brother. 
<clears throat> Isaiah 64 and 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. But we but we are some. We are all as an unclean thing. We are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And that's key, brothers and sisters. This is the second text that, un, excuse me, this is the second text that what? Unclean garments and iniquities have been mentioned together, brothers and sisters. Because the Bible tells you the most dangerous of the sins are the iniquities. Those are the iniquities. Because why? Because they can't be seen. They're usually overlooked. Brothers and sisters. Go remember. Go look at what Christ said. When they said. You know. When they when people were begging and say. Listen. Didn't we. Didn't we. Baptize in your name. Didn't we heal in your name. He said. Depart from me. You workers of iniquity. So go. Go study iniquity. Brothers and sisters. Because. That is the hierarchy of the sin. That's the hierarchy. And guess what? The, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees did not want to deal with that part. They did not want to deal with the sins inside. They only wanted to deal with, you know, on the outside, what other people could see to keep up a facade. Those who, you know, learn with our church. We, we clean from the inside out, not from the outside in. So it's talking about iniquities, brothers and sisters. Let us shove. Let's go to James, the first chapter, the 23rd verse. Let's go to the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, follow us there, please. Going to James, the first chapter, the 23rd and 24th verse. James 1 and 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. In a what, brother? In a glass. For he looks, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way. And straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The Messiah's brother, James, said the word of God is like a mirror, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Just as a mirror reflects what we look like, look like on the outside, the Most High or God's word re reflects what we look like on the inside. Look at what James says here. Look at the imagery he uses. Let's read those one more time, brother. James 1 and 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. In a what, brother? In a glass. That's a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. See that? So the fundamental purpose of the Most High's word is to give us true self-knowledge. Brothers and sisters, the mirror of the word not only examines you know, not only examines us, but reveals our sins. It helps us clean, cleanse ourselves as well. So there's a lot of different things that we use the Bible for. We should use the Bible for, brothers and sisters, as a mirror to, to, to measure myself. That's the number one thing. When you find out the truth, you, you begin to measure yourself against the word. It's telling you that don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer. That means that it's likely, or not only likely, brothers and sisters, but it's probably a little, it's probably most popular to just be a hearer of the word. It might be just most common to only be a hearer of the word. Our people love to hear the word. Even when I was, even in the Christian church, we love to hear the word. I know people, they travel two, three hours to hear the word, but don't apply it at all. 
Now, this that is dangerous, brothers and sisters. That is dangerous. And the question is, have you ever seen yourself in the mirror of the Bible? And what did you do about what you saw? I need each one of you to ask yourself that question. Because either you have never seen yourself in the Bible, which means you have to start studying again. Or you have seen yourself in the Bible and hopefully, according to James, you've applied the things that you've learned. You've cleansed yourself, utilizing the word of God. This is key. We just wanted to show you that the word of God is like a mirror. There is no other record. There is no other book that can show you the inside of a man or a woman when we say that. Let's go to Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 29 and 18. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Take a look at this, please. Proverbs 29 and 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Can, can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Look at that, brothers and sisters. This passage, it tells us that where no vision is, people cast off restraint. This is key because God's word is a blessing and obeying it is the basis for true happiness according to this text. Let's read that one more time, brother. Proverbs 29 and 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. But he that does what? Keepeth the law, happy is he. See that? See? Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Proverbs is teaching us two things that work together here. And the number one thing is that without clear vision, people are doomed to wander aimlessly. And it tells you that those who actually keep the law, they're much happier. I've never met a person who actually follows what God says uh, be struggling with depression and on antidepressants and drinking himself into a, in, in, you know, into a coma. I've never saw that. Those people that I've ever saw that with are people who don't follow God. They don't follow the Bible. So this is key here because James said what? He said, if you want clear vision, look in the Bible. <laughs> okay. Pick up the Bible. There's a, there's a mirror. And then you link that with Proverbs, the 29th chapter, and he's telling you, listen, where you don't have any vision, you perish. Where you can't see yourself, when you can't see what's going on, when you can't measure yourself, you cast off restraint because you really don't know what you look like. It's just like people being on TV, right, on these, uh, what do they call those shows, reality shows. They get on there, and then maybe it's the first season, and then they watch it. After seeing themselves on TV, right? And what do they do after that? They start getting all types of plastic surgery, lip fillers, big old, you know, <laughs> breast reductions, big old butts, longer hair. Because why? It's different when you see yourself like that. It's different. And that's the same way it should be with the Bible, brothers and sisters. It's, Whoa, I thought I was a good person till I saw all this. That's what the Bible is for, brothers and sisters. For me also. So he didn't give us the Bible to do what? He didn't give us the Bible to debate. That's not why he... And listen, I've been there. I've been there, brothers and sisters, where you just, you sharpening your sword and you hoping, you know, you hoping a Mormon or a Muslim or somebody come across you and want to, you know, want to sharpen swords. 
I've been there. And that's, you know, that's fine. But the number one reason he gave us this truth is to turn it inwardly. Not to go to your mom, not to go to your, everybody and say, you ain't supposed to be doing that. You ain't supposed to be doing this. You ain't supposed to be spending money. Turn it inwardly, brothers and sisters. That's what we do first. We turn it inwardly. Let's talk more about that. Let's go to John, the 11th chapter in the 39th verse. Because here it says, where there's no vision, people perish. All right, let's get some clear vision, according to John. We're going to go to John 11. We're going to have Brother Corey read 39 through 44. John 11 and 39. Christ said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Closely examine John's account of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead, brothers and sisters, right? Verse 39. Christ said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Christ saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Christ lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus. What did he cry? Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Christ said to th unto them, What did he say? Loose him and let him go. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Subsequent to the resurrecting of Lazarus, com Christ commanded the surrounding bystanders to go and unbind him, go and unloose him. So this is key, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you caught that, but according to the text, there's some apparel that we possess after being resurrected. Let's go back. We don't, we don't want you to miss this, brothers and sisters. We'll go back to verse 41. Verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Christ lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Christ said unto them, Look, Listen to this. Loose him and let him go. Look at that. So according to the text, there is some apparel that one possesses, right, after being resurrected. And possession of this apparel has the ability to do what? To restrict your progression. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at what Christ, look at the command that Christ gave the, by, the bystanders. Let's read 44 one more time, brother. John 11 and 44. And he, and he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. He was bound hand and foot with what, brother? With grave clothes. Grave clothes, right. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Christ said unto them, 
loose him and let him go. Now that's key because his grave clothes, according to the text, affected his ability to walk, affected his ability to work, affected his ability to see. So look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the text, the second part of deliverance was the removal of the grave clothes because he was alive, but he was still bound. He was still restricted, brothers and sisters. So when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he still carried some of the remnants from the grave. And that's the part, that's the part right there, brothers and sisters. According to the text, Lazarus needed the help taking off the remnants of his old life. He couldn't do this on his own, brothers and sisters. None of us can do this on our own. There's another story in this same gospel, in the same uh, Bible, where Christ had grave clothes. He was the only one in the history of the Bible that could unloose himself from the grave clothes. Go read that, brothers and sisters. Go look at what they saw when they went to look for Christ. They said, listen, his grave clothes was there <laughs> like they had never, you know. They was there still looking like there was a body in it. His napkin that covered his face was folded. Which means Christ needed no one to loose him or let him go. But us, we can look at Lazarus and see, and see, this is the key. This is why, brothers and sisters, this is exactly why the Bible says, forsake not the assembly. You need a place to learn, brothers and sisters. Listen, you should have private learning. Brother Corey and I, we, we have private learning also. But you need to be, you need to get under a teacher, brothers and sisters. And it don't need to be here. It, you know, it could be here. But, you know, if you find somewhere that's keeping the doctrine of Christ, understand the name of the Most High, Ahiah, and His Son, Yeshia, learn there. But to just learn on your own and, you know, be in your mom's basement, you know, saying, you know what, I'm deep, I don't I don't need anyone, you can never get these clothes off. This is why the Most High set up, you know, brothers and sisters that would be willing to go the extra mile. This is why, brothers and sisters. Let's read it one more time. Let's read 43. John 11 and 43. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was, bare, was bound about with a napkin. And Christ saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. This is key because this is what Israelites are supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help other brethren get off their grave clothes. Once you get your clothes off, <laughs> got to get yours off first. But then this is what he's called us to do, brothers and sisters, each and every one of us. To help get the grave clothes off of another brother. It was it was clear that he needed help getting these grave clothes off. He had, he needed help to get the clothes of his old life off, brothers and sisters. A text the text is teaching us that possession of these garments gives us evidence that deliverance is yet to be is yet to be completed. He was alive, but he wasn't delivered. He was still bound. He couldn't walk out of the tomb. He was bound, brothers and sisters, showing you after you've been resurrected, there's still a second, there's a second part of your, your healing, and that's deliverance. This is key, brothers and sisters, this is, this is key, especially with this narrative of the garments. Do you still have your grave clothes on? Do you still have on the clothes from your previous life? Do you still have on the remnants 
of the grave. Let's go to Ephesians, the second chapter. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters, please. We're going to the New Testament, Ephesians, the second chapter. Here we go. The second chapter, and we'll start at the uh, we'll start at the first verse. We'll read one through three. Ephesians two verse one, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also. We all had our conversations in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now this is key, brothers and sisters. We're going to read it again from the top, but notice the details that we were dead in sin. Let's read that from the top, Brother Corey. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Were dead, meaning we were resurrected, so hold on, brothers and sisters. We just learned, Lazarus, when you die, you have grave clothes on. It's telling you that we were dead, brothers and sisters, in our trespasses and in our sins. So the text opens with a kaleidoscope de depiction of our former reality and our conduct. Listen to it closely. Verse 1, and you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world. In times past. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Mm. Among whom also we all had our conversation in the times past. In the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath even as others. This is key brothers and sisters. Because here Paul describes our grave clothes. Our old condition. What was it again, brother? Can you read verse uh, 2? Verse 2. Listen to the grave clothes. Where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh. This is your grave clothes. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So since we know Paul is talking about a spiritual state, we must understand this deadness refers to our spiritual life, brothers and sisters. It's clear. We were dead. But we've, we've been brought back to life through Christ. So if you've been brought back to life through Christ, have you taken off the grave clothes? Because you had them on. Some of us are still wearing them. Some of us didn't even know about grave clothes. We just thought, you know, we got the truth now. Let's go. Let's run. But according to the text, deliverance is in two steps, brothers and sisters. First, to hear his voice. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Right? Lazarus responded. But what happened? He was still restricted. He was still tied down. He was still bound. So even when you hear the voice, right? Even when you hear the voice, brothers and sisters, there's another step. There is another step. And we have to point this out, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers. 
Let's go to Colossians, Brother Corey. We're going to go to Colossians 2 and 13. Please follow us closely, brothers and sisters. Please follow us closely. Colossians 2 and 13. And you, being dead in your sins... So and we, so, excuse me. So we were dead. It's clear. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Here Paul notes the, the spiritual condition of all believers before the Messiah, before Christ. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So Paul describes two glorious elements in our salvation. Being made spiritually alive and having our sins forgiven. So this is key, brothers and sisters. We were dead in our sins. We've learned that once you're resurrected, once you die and come back, you have on your apparel has changed. You have on some spiritual garments, grave clothes, which is what the remnants of the grave, the remnants of your old life, the remnants of the old man or the old woman. It's still there. And that's key. We have to recognize that because James said what? The Bible is a mirror. We have to start looking in that mirror, brothers and sisters. You don't look in the mirror, you know, just to look. When I look in the mirror, I'm looking to do something. <laughs> okay. Any healthy person, when they look in the mirror, they're making sure, okay, I don't have no toothpaste on my lip. Okay. You know, my glasses are clean or my makeup, if it's a system, my makeup or, or whatever the case is, they don't just look in the mirror to look in the mirror. That's that person's sick. The person who just looks in the mirror not to do anything, that person has a sickness. So we don't look in the Bible to become scholars. That's not why we look in the Bible. Yes, would we want to learn on a scholarly level? Yes, we would. But that's subsequent. That's after. That precedes getting our, our spiritual life together, getting my garments on. Because I've discovered that our people just want to be deep. They don't even they don't even want to change. <laughs> they just want to be able to say they know more than you know their family members or, or whoever. That's a that's a mis that's a severe miscalculation on their part. That's a severe miscalculation, brothers and sisters. Number one reason we use the Bible is for self examination. It's for self-application. And then, then we can go out and do, you know, the other things that people want to do. But first, turn it inwardly. Turn it inwardly, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Ephesians 4 and 22. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 and 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Brothers and sisters, here Paul employs the same clothing imagery. Listen closely to what he said. Let's read 22 again, brother. Verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Put off, right? Look at that. That's clothing. Put on, put off. 
So we're commanded to take off our grave clothes, to put off our old selves. Listen to Paul break this down, brothers and sisters. Verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. According to the what, brother? Deceitful lust. So according to the author, grave clothes are no longer appropriate to our living condition. He said, put it off, change your garments, change your garbs, right? Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. Do what, brother? And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So it's a couple of things we see, brothers and sisters. In verse 23, can you read 23 one more time, brother? Verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And be renewed. So the present tense in verse 23 emphasizes the continual renewal. You see that continual. What's the next scripture say, brother? Verse 24, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So this passage contains what? A three-step principle for how a believer changes and grows, brothers and sisters. It said, put off the old man, renew your mind, put on the new man. You see that? There's three steps there, brothers and sisters. There's three steps. Many of us fall short. Many of us fall short. Yeah, we understand. We hear his voice. But we're restricted. We can't see. We can't move. We can't walk. We can't work. Why? Because the garments still have me have us bound. We haven't got the clothes off. Paul was breaking down this narrative all throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters, showing you how important it is, the apparel. It represents character in the Bible. And for Hebrews, for Israelites, it's imperative that you understand this because why? It's your book. It's imperative that you understand the hermeneutics of your own book with certain, you know, what certain phrases mean in the Bible. The metaphors, the allegories in the Bible. This is your record. So, you know, of course, we just found out we're Israel. A lot of us. We just found out. So it takes some time to kind of, you know, pick back up the culture to understand it clearly. But now that you see, Paul is utilizing a clothing metaphor all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. This is key. This is key, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Romans. Follow us to Romans, the 13th chapter and the 14th verse, please. Romans 13 and 14. But put ye on the Lord Christ. Do what, brother? But put ye on the Lord Christ. There it is again, brothers and sisters. And make not provision for your flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. See, so Paul is giving us Another clothing illustration. Here the Apostle Paul exhorts believers to put on Christ like a garment. Could you read that again, brother, please? Verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Christ and make not provision for your flesh. Make not provisions for the flesh. To fulfill the lust thereof. To make provisions for the flesh is when one studies to, to satisfy the flesh and provide fuel for lust. Right, brothers and sisters? So... For example, if a brother, um, let's say a brother, he just stopped drinking alcohol, you know, it is his first weekend clean. Making provisions for the flesh would be going out to hang out with people who are drinking alcohol. 
you're making a provision for the flesh for you to fall or to go to the liquor store. You go to the liquor store and say you're going to get something else, get some chips, but you're in the store. That's a provision for the flesh, brothers and sisters. So he said, don't make provisions for your flesh. Don't go where, you know, don't go where it'll be easy for you to sin. Don't do things where it'll be easy for you to sin. Do this rather. Put on the Messiah as a garment. So those who put on Christ can do no other than act in accordance with the spirit of Christ. You see, remember, we said that character is reflected in clothing. That's why he's saying put on Christ, because if you put on Christ, then you would take on the character of Christ as your clothing. This is how the Bible, this is, you know, how the authors speak of the Bible. This is how it was. And it was clear that Paul is is using this particular metaphor a myriad of times in, in his writings. So he understood this clearly. It's time that we understand this clearly, brothers and sisters. It's time that we understand this. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Luke, the fifth chapter, the 36th through the 39th verse. Please listen to this closely. Luke 5 and 36. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeth not with the old. Now, brothers and sisters, I need you to closely examine this, because the parable is a series of contrasts between new and old. Okay? You'll, you'll start to see that narrative go as we, as we progress throughout this parable. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 36. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a new a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeth not with the old. Mm, so Christ's message is clear. When it comes to discarding the old man and donning the new one, we cannot mix, mix and match. Cannot happen, brothers and sisters. And he goes, he, he elucidates further. Take a look. Verse 37, and no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles. Now, what does this mean, brothers and sisters? We know that it swells up. Wine, it, new wine, it has to swell up, brothers and sisters, right? It lets off the, the what do they call it, the antioxidants, uh, brothers and sisters, so the, the, the old bottle is already swollen. <laughs> and you put new wine in there and it's going to swell and burst. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, the first thing he tells us is that no one with experience mending clothes would waste a piece of new cloth to repair an old garment. And now here we are at the second parable, which is about wine, but it's the same principle. Can you read that one more time? Verse 37, brother. Luke 5 and 37. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desires new, for he said, the old is better. So this is key, brothers and sisters, because Christ is teaching that they will need to make a clean break from the old to new. That's key. That 39th verse, brothers and sisters, shows you the danger. 
So this, this chapter, this parable, Christ gave two examples as a lesson in incongruities. Let's read that again from the top, please, brother. Verse 35. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, verse 36. Verse 36. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man puts a new piece of... Puts a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreed not with the old. Now that's key, brothers and sisters, because the conclusion is, if a new garment is available, it would be foolish to use it to mend an old defective one. That's what Christ is bringing here. Verse 37. And no man puts new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desires new, for he said, the old is better. Now this is clear. If you have new new life, why do you still have on the old clothes? See, that's the, that's the principle here, brothers and sisters. You can't come out of the grave and keep on the remnants from the grave. It's not going to work, brothers and sisters. It's not going to work. So it's clear. This is the principle here, right? Lazarus was, was raised from the dead, yet he still was in possession of the remnants of the clothes from his old life called the old man spiritually, brothers and sisters. We have to kill that old man, okay? That old man or old woman must die because it's still there. You can hear the voice, right? You can hear the voice. Respond to it, understand the truth, but until the old man is dead, you really have not been delivered. You've just been educated. There's a difference. You have knowledge now, but you still are fighting that old man. And this is a battle that we all will have. And if you're not having this battle, then something is up because either you, you, <laughs> you're still dead in your sins. Because once you come back from, once you come back from the grave, of being dead in your in your trespasses and your sins, now you come out of the grave. You're brought back to life. You try to come out of the grave, but you still have those old clothes on. So that's key, brothers and sisters. We have to put those garments off. Let's go to Galatians 3 and 27. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. We're going to Galatians, the third chapter, the 27th verse. Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. They have done what? Have put on Christ. Here Paul connects baptism with the imagery of putting on clothes. Listen to this closely, brothers and sisters. For, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. What have they put on, brother? Have put on Christ. See, so Paul likens Christ himself to a garment. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. Now this is clear, brothers and sisters, because according to Paul, we should actually dress ourselves with Christ in the same way that we put clothes on. The expression conveys a striking suggestion of the closeness which exists between Christ and the baptized. You see that, brothers and sisters? 
Let's read that one more time from the top. And now this is for Jews and Gentiles. I hope Jews and Gentiles are listening to this. Because it's not just the Jews or the Israelites that are wearing the gray clothes. So there's a lot of transferable truth. Yes, our number one concern is to make sure we teach our people. But of course, we're going to teach Gentiles also. And there's a lot of information that's transferable truth. Okay, which means it doesn't matter who you are. You can learn from that. And Paul is breaking it down here. Can you read that again, brother? Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. That's the power of baptism, brothers and sisters. Now, this doesn't mean that you're, you're a spiritual Israelite. That's not what this is saying, because I know some Christian, they'll pull this out and say, see, there's no, there's no Jew nor Greek. That's, that's talking about in judgment, brothers and sisters. So there's no, di there's no difference, you know, about in judgment between Jews and Greeks. If you do the right thing, you'll be good, <laughs> okay? If you do the wrong thing, you're going to be judged for that. So the Most High is no respecter of persons when it comes to that, brothers and sisters. But you being baptized doesn't make you a spiritual Israelite any more than it makes me a spiritual Chinese or a, spirit, a spiritual Arab or a spiritual African. Those things don't exist. Okay, you can just be a Gentile, or an Edomite or whoever and be a, a, a follower of Christ. You don't need to assume somebody else's identity. Okay, you can still be who you are and be a follower of Christ. And that's key. Those are the brothers who are, you know, ancestors of the Gentiles, of the Edomites, and, you know, other people who we baptize. We treat them like brethren. We, we don't treat them any different, brothers and sisters. We treat them just like anyone else. Okay? But now the whole deal is, if you want to be with us, you're going to hear about the plight of our people. Okay? So, let me put that out there. If you're going to learn with us, learn from us. You will hear about what's going on with our people. That's the message that, that we're going to teach. And we'll teach other people also. But we're not going to act like we're not Israelites because we have non-Israelites in the room. We, we're not doing that. Let's go to 1 Samuel, brother. Follow us, brothers and sisters. 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. We're going to read. We're going to have Brother Corey read 3 through 5. This is... Saul, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David. We know that they were best friends. 1 Samuel 18 and 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and his girdle. Brothers and sisters, one of the most famous man-to-man -man covenants was between King Saul's son, Jonathan, and David. I need you to closely examine what transpires in these texts. Let's read three one more time, brother. First Samuel 18 and 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. And his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. Now this is key, brothers and sisters. All of this was significant because why? The clothes signified the person and his position. You see that, brothers and sisters? So this was symbolic. Jonathan giving David these things 
He was essentially resigning who he really was and given that authority being the king's son or second, you know, the next king to come, the king to come. He relinquished that and gave it to David. So this was a, this was this was symbolic here. Brothers and sisters, can you read four one more time, brother? Verse four. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him. Now that's key because Jonathan's robe identified Jonathan as a prince, <laughs> which means a son of the king. <laughs> and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. See that? So giving David his weapons represented a commitment to do what? To defend and protect David. And that's key, brothers and sisters. David is putting on Jonathan. David is taking on the identity of his covenant partner, Jonathan. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is the importance of understanding the narrative of clothing. Clothing is very important in the Bible. Now, in real life, you know how black people are about their clothing. <laughs> okay? So it, it goes all the way back to the Bible, all right? We are very particular about our guard, what we wear. Right In other nations, they see what we wear, and they wear it. We really don't know why we're so into clothes and, and things like that, but it goes all the way back to biblical days. Okay? We've, you know, this whole lesson has been about clothing, essentially. Garments, right? Read verse 5, please, brother. Verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, this is key, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that there was an exchange of clothing, right? And in, in, in essence, the two had become one. That's what that was. The identity swap was analogous with the exchange that took place at the cross. And we're going to talk about that. You see that, brothers and sisters? Jonathan giving up everything that he had, his garments which signified his royalty. His, he, he resigned over or he, he, he was willing to give David what? His weapons. See? Now this is key, brothers and sisters. They made a covenant and that was the fruit of that covenant. Now, we said that that identity swap was analogous with an exchange that took place at the cross. Let's take a look at that exchange at the cross. Let's go to Matthew, the 27th chapter, the 15th through the 17th verse. Matthew 25 and 15, excuse me, 27 and 15. Matthew 27 and 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they that... And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Now, we know that this is during the time of what? The Passover, right, brothers and sisters? Look at it again. Can you read that uh, verse 15, brother? Verse 15. Now, at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. Look at this. So, according to the text, at the Passover, brothers and sisters, the governor's custom or practice was to release one prisoner. Now, this, brothers and sisters, I'll tell you, <laughs> this was his custom at that time of year. 
uh, according to the text, but it was it was a small it was a, a goodwill small gesture just to keep us pacified. See, this is what they do. You know what? They beat you up all year long, and then you know what? Around this time, let me let me you know let me release a a, a criminal. And see, this type of stuff work on our people. And we was probably then saying, see, he black. He actually one of us. He letting out people out of prison. This is what our people do. I remember when um, the sister that that's the, um, the vice president right now, she came out with a photo op, because that's what it was, wearing some Tims. And I could just see our people going crazy, like, because this sister had Tims on. So she's, she's for black people. It's like, our people are, as, I mean, we could just be as simple as the day is long, brothers and sisters. They know that this type of thing works on us. He said, well, listen, it's our custom to, to let a Negro out of prison during this time. Let's read that one more time, brother. Matthew 27 and 15. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Christ, which is called the Lord. Now look at that, brothers and sisters. Barabbas was offered up to the crowd by Pilate as what? As an alternative to crucifying the Messiah. This is key, brothers and sisters, because Pilate purposely proposed such an infamous uh, criminal believing that we would have preferred Christ you see this brothers and sisters jump to verse 20 brother Matthew 27 and 20 but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Christ who did and the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Christ so here we see that in order to secure the condemnation of Christ the chief priests urged the people to demand Barabbas. You see that, brothers and sisters? This was religious people. Showing you, religious people have always been the enemy of the Messiah. They've always been the enemy of us. Religious people. We don't believe in religion. This is history what we're dealing with. We're dealing with history, not religion. We're Jews, not Jewish. We, we don't have a religion. We're, we're believers. Jump to verse uh, 24, brothers. 24, 25, and 26. Matthew 27 and 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. See, so here he did this signifying his innocence. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude. Washed his hands before the multitude. Saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. See, so it was custom among the, excuse me, it was custom among the Hebrews to wash hands in token of innocence. You see that, brothers and sisters? Verse 25. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us. What did we say? His blood be on us and our children. Look at that. According to the text, Israel accepted the blame for the execution of the Messiah. Verse 26. 
then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Christ, he delivered him to be crucified. Then released him to be crucified. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Barabbas received Pilate's Passover pardon, allowing him to skip his appointment with the crucifix. This is key. Because this brother, up until this point, is essentially like on death row. I'm sure that whole day he thought he was going to die. <laughs> that whole day. Now let us show you the exchange, brothers and sisters, because that's not the extent of the exchange, right? Let's go to 1 Peter 2 and 21. This is the extent of that exchange. 1 Peter 2 and 21. 1 Peter 2 and 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us. For who? For us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Jump to verse 24, brother. Verse 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on that tree. No, he bare Barabbas' sins. Our sins on his own body on the tree. That we, being dead in sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So according to the author, Barabbas represents each of us for whom Christ died, brothers and sisters. See? We, like Barabbas, were allowed to go free with no condemnation. So a lot of people would say, you know, well, hold on. They're going to let this guy, this murderer loose? <laughs> and when you read in the other Gospels, it tells you that he was the leader of an insurrection. Brothers and sisters, he was essentially a zealot. He was a, you know, <laughs> he was a, a person who was an extremist, right? But everyone would say, everyone in their right mind would say, I mean, listen, you let a murderer go? You exchanged the Messiah's life for this guy? When really that guy was you. That gal was you, brothers and sisters. All of they in Jerusalem on that day. <laughs> brothers and sisters out of all of them no one more than Barabbas had the best opportunity to understand Christ's atoning sacrifice he out of all people understood what was going on why because it was his life that was going to be taken that day just imagine that after he's released he watches Christ and everything that Christ goes through that day and in his mind he's thinking what Wow. <laughs> Literally. I don't know if that brother believed in God. He probably did because he was a Jew. But <laughs> just imagine, brothers and sisters, if anyone believed from that point, it had to be Barabbas. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 24. Verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, to live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So according to the text, we experienced the exchange of robes analogous to that which between Jonathan and David. You see that, brothers and sisters? The same thing that, you know, the same imagery of between Jonathan and David, according to this text here, we had that same exchange. We had this same exchange, brothers and sisters. Barabbas represents you and I. A sinner, worthy of condemnation, who was allowed to go free. 
Let's prove that. Let's go to Isaiah 53 and 5. That's further proof that Barabbas is you and I. Isaiah 53 and 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. For who? For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And with his what brother? And with his stripes we are healed. So here the idea of substitution and vicarious sacrifice is spelled out explicitly. Brothers and sisters. It wasn't for Barabbas. It was for who, brother? Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. See, so this text highlights the substitutionary nature of our atonement at the cross. You see, brothers and sisters, this was that exchange in garments. The same thing we saw with Jonathan and David. It's the same exact thing. It's... It's an analogy. It's, well, essentially, it's analogous, brothers and sisters. This is incredibly vital that you understand this, okay? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Follow us here, brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. We're going to the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The greatest exchange ever revealed to mankind is found in this passage. What did that say, brother? Verse 21. For he hath made him sin to be sin for us who knew no sin, mm. that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See? So this verse shows that Christ became our substitute, bearing the wrath and judgment of the Most High God in our place, brothers and sisters. The text teaches us that Christ emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it. Look at that. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 21. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Mm. Look at that. Paul explains that when we entered the new covenant, our spiritual garment was supernaturally changed. You see, brothers and sisters, Christ put on the sin, the garment that was sin. Remember, the filthy garment represents iniquity. It represents sin. And it tells you that we might be made righteousness. So he put on our garments. He put on our uniform. And we put on his. See that, brothers and sisters? The title of today's lesson is Wedding Crashes. The Wedding Crashes, brothers and sisters. We've gone through a, a myriad of scriptures today um, highlighting the narrative, uh, the importance of garments in the Bible and how apparel represents character in the Bible. And we started off showing you that if you come improperly dressed into the presence of the king, that being the most high, there are ramifications, brothers and sisters, that you may be, you may not recover from. You won't recover from. So we have to really take our time, brothers and sisters. Really take the time and utilize this Bible as a mirror. What is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to show me? 
And then once I have that information, internalize it, apply it. Time is short, brothers and sisters. It's high time to wake out of sleep. Time is short. Let's go to Psalms 91 and 4, brother. Because we showed there that there was, a, there was an exchange at the cross. There was an exchange at the cross. Christ became sin. It says that the man who knew no sin became sin for us. As we were able to take his righteousness or be covered in his righteousness. Psalms 91 verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall thou trust. His trust shall be thy shield and buckler. Now a shield and buckler, a buckler is a shield, brothers and sisters. So that's essentially what it is. But look at it closely because the psalmist compares the Lord's protection to the protection of a mother eagle. You know, giving her chicks coverage. Can you read that one more time, brother? Psalms 91 verse 4. He shall cover thee with his feathers. That's the key. Cover thee, right? And under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. So the verbiage contained in the passage is indicative of what? Security and protection. Brothers and sisters. I will cover you, right? Clothing is to do what? Right? What did he tell Adam and Eve? Right. They tried to cover themselves. He said, well, no, no, that's not going to be good enough. So we're showing you something here, brothers and sisters. Here we read a reminder of the providential care the Mosai has provided Israel since the time of Abraham. This is key, brothers and sisters. Let's learn a little bit more about how they spoke in Jerusalem. Okay, how important was apparel in Jerusalem? Especially spiritually, according to the narrative or the theme of the Bible, brothers and sisters. I want you to take a look. Brothers and sisters, follow us to the book of Ruth. We're going to have Brother Corey read 1 through 10. I'm pretty sure many, only the women read Ruth. But I would encourage brothers and sisters to go, go, go learn this story. Go read this story because... This story actually points to Christ, brothers and sisters. We won't go into it today, but Boaz represents Christ. He's a type of Christ, brothers and sisters, because he was a kinsman redeemer. So I would encourage you to go, go study that, brothers and sisters. Ruth 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he winter with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Now this is key because here Naomi provides a plan to encourage a marriage that will secure Ruth a better future. So remember, Ruth is a Moabite. Remember that, brothers and sisters. Here it is. She's following who? She's following an Israelite woman who's, who lost both her sons and her husband, right? Back to Jerusalem, she said, listen, wherever you go, I'll go. Whatever God you serve, I will serve. This, is, this was Ruth saying this, a Moabite, right? We know that Moab and, uh, Moab and Ammon are who? The Palestinians and the Jordanians, right? Remember, Christ came through this sister right here. <laughs> so there was Gentiles in the lineage of the Messiah, brothers and sisters. But we, we won't overturn that stone right now. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 1, 
Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. So here it is, Naomi is saying, listen, you need a man that can cover you. You need a man that's going to protect you. So we know of a man who's kinsman to you. Because remember, the law was, brothers and sisters, that a man, if he died, um, that his kin could take care of his family, right? So that was law. Here it was, this sister, um, with no coverage, no man, her and her, you know, essentially her mother-in-law are looking to find someone that can take care of her, to protect her, to provide for her. Because during this time, it wasn't like how it is now, brothers and sisters. Women, essentially, you were connected to your man. You didn't have really anything outside of your man, except for in the New Testament when you had the, the church, you know, taking care of the widows. But really, the woman was covered under the man during this time brothers and sisters okay so she really didn't have anything of her own like that can you read three one more time brother because this is naomi giving her the instructions of what to do tonight verse three wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall be done eating and drinking so she said you change your clothes Anoint yourself. That means don't be ashy. Put some oil on, right? And then go down onto the floor, right? Go down onto the floor near his feet. Verse 4. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Now look at this. Naomi tells her to go to the threshing floor to wait and observe where Boaz is lying down. Look at this closely. Could you read that one more time, brother? Verse 4. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. She said, go and lay down at his feet. Don't, don't say anything. He'll tell you what to do. Verse 5. And she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Everything you've told me to do, I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Spread what, brother? Therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now this is key. This is key because upon introducing herself, Ruth promptly proposes marriage. Look at the imagery here of what happens. Can you read that one more time, brother? Verse 9. And he said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. Spread thy skirt over thy handmaid. For thou art a near kinsman. 
Now, what does this mean in Hebrew, in the Hebrew culture, brothers and sisters? Because why? With this particular gesture, Boaz would indicate his protection of Ruth as her husband. He would cover her, protect her. So that's what this, this is what this imagery is, that he would throw his skirt over her to say, listen, I will cover your shame. I will protect you. You see that? This is how, this was a proposal here, brothers and sisters. So it's clear. Read verse 10, brother, please. Verse 10. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor nor rich. So Boaz understood that Ruth was asking him to take her as his wife. Because look at his response in verse 10. Because his response in verse 10 tells you that she was younger than him. Right? Verse 10. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. You didn't go after young men. You came after me. You came after man established. So he pointed that out. And then he said, my daughter, to show difference that she was younger than him. And he said, well, listen, you could have went to the young men. But Naomi understood she needed to be covered. She needed to be protected. She wasn't going to find that with young men. <laughs> she would have found that with Boaz, obviously, right? So it was key, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you that this covering of the skirt had symbolic, had symbology, brothers and sisters, is that I will cover you. I will protect you, right? Remember Psalms, what was that? Psalms 91 and 4. It said, he shall cover thee with his feathers. And under his wings shalt thou trust. So this covering, when somebody covers you, brothers and sisters, that's symbolic. When somebody covers you, that means they protect you. They're responsible for you. Let us show you that. Let us show. Let's go to Ezekiel 16. Because now you're learning how, the, you know, how Hebrew literature was, brothers and sisters. Hebrews, excuse me, uh, Ezekiel 16 and let's start at verse, let's start at verse, hmm. let's start at verse 8. Ezekiel 16 and 8. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. Now, brothers and sisters, just a little background. In chapter 16, Ezekiel retells the the Exodus story in the allegory of a betrothal or an engagement. So this is about Israel being delivered, right? Could you read that again? Ezekiel 16 and 8. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yeah, I swear unto thee and, and entered into a covenant with thee said the Lord God, and thou became his mind. Examine the descriptive language in this passage, brothers and sisters. Could you read that again, brother? Verse 8. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee. I did what? I spread my skirt over thee. This was a symbol of marriage. And covered thy nakedness. Look at that. Covering your nakedness, right? Covering your shame. Yeah, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee. Showing you that this, to, to spread the skirt over somebody, that was a covenant, right? That's saying marriage, right? 
and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Then washed I thee with water. Yea, I thoroughly washed away the blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee with also the embroidered work. He did what? I clothed thee also with broidered work. From verses 9 through 14, these gifts were marriage gifts customarily presented to a queen. This is the Most High saying, listen, I spread my skirt over you, Israel. Right? We came into a marriage covenant. Right? We said, I clothed you. Could you read 10 one more time? Verse 10. I clothed you. I clothed thee also with broidered work and shod thee with badger skin. And I girded thee about with fine linen, and covered thee with silk. I decked thee also with ornaments, and I put bracelets upon thy hands, and chains on thy neck. And I put a jewel on thy forehead, and earrings in thine ear, and a beautiful crown upon thine head. Look at that, because Ezekiel reports how the Most High clothed Israel in luxurious wedding garments, and adorned his wife with precious materials. Look at the look at the description here, brothers and sisters. With the most see this come with being covered. See? <laughs> he said, Listen, I put my I put you under my skirt saying I would protect you. I would provide for you. I put chains on your neck, earrings in your ear, jewels on your forehead, crowns on you, bracelets on you. See that come with being covered under the skirt, brothers and sisters. Now, this is this is critical that you understand this. This is vitally critical. Okay, brothers and sisters? Let's read 13 one more time. Verse, verse 13. Thus was thou decked with gold and silver, and thy raiment was fine linen and silk and broidered, broidered work. Thou didst eat fine flour and honey and oil, and thou wast exceeding beautiful, and thou didst prosper into a kingdom. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for, the, for thy beauty. The heathen are the Gentiles. Why are they called heathens? Because they do whatever they want. They don't follow law. They eat whatever they want. They dress however they want. They celebrate whatever they want. So the Bible calls them heathens. This is another word for people who eat unclean foods, who celebrate unclean days, right? Who don't observe the Sabbath, right? That's what the Bible calls them, heathen, heathens. Verse 14. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord God. But thou didst trust in thine own beauty. What did Israel do? Trust in thine own beauty, and place the harlot because of thy renown, and pourest out thy fornications on every one that passed by. His it was. We discover that Israel took the garments given her by her husband and played the whore. You see that, brothers and sisters? We see a general summary of Israel's history as, you know, of idolatry as she gave herself to the religious practices of the Gentiles. You see what's going on here, right? He's saying, I clothed you. I gave you the gold. I gave you the silver. I gave you the diamond. And what do you do? You go play harlot with all the other nations, with all of their gods. Let's read that one more time, brother. Verse 14. Verse 14. And thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty, for it was perfect through my comeliness, which I had put upon thee, saith the Lord God. But thou didst trust in thine own beauty. You trusted in your own beauty. 
and played the harlot because of thy renown. You played the harlot. Look at that. We played the harlot. We were renowned. Why? Because the Most High cleaned us up, anointed us, gave us everything we needed. And we slept with every person that walked by. The Bible tells you this. And poured out thy fornications on everyone that passed by. His it was. Anybody who passed by, it was his. <laughs> Look at that. You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? This was us. This was the children of Israel. We're showing you how much you can learn from garments, though. You see that, brothers and sisters? Being covered. According to the text, it's telling you that when you're covered, you're clothed. He clothes you. You don't clothe yourself. You see that? When you're under his skirt, he clothes you. He's been doing this since Genesis, the third chapter. <laughs> because it's a symbol that, listen, I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will be responsible for you. So he's been trying to clothe us since Genesis, the third chapter. Brother Corey, let's go to Isaiah 4 and 1. <clears throat> Isaiah, the fourth chapter, the first verse. Isaiah 4, verse 1. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Now look at this. It's key here. There's something key here brothers and sisters, because it's telling you that when you look at Isaiah 3 and 25, it'll t it tells you there's going to be so much war that men are going to be at a scarcity. And sisters, seven women will, you know, try to grab hold onto one man and say, listen, cover us under your name. Take away our reproach saying we belong to you. But listen, we're going to wear our own apparel. We're going to provide for ourselves our own food and our own apparel. We just need to be covered under your name. Sort of like what? The Passover, the original Passover, where everyone in this man's house was covered under this man. So it's going to be a lot of sisters who don't have men of their own, who are going to need to be protected by their, essentially their brethren, the brothers in the church, the brothers who are doing the right thing, who know, you know, who know the most high personal. That's going to come. But we just wanted to show you what they said. Can you read that again, brother? Verse one. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. We'll feed ourselves and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name. Now, why would they need to say that, brothers and sisters? Because it's clear. When you're married, you get fed and you, and you get clothed. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? See? So this was, it was clear. Because why would they even have to dis make a distinguishment of this? Listen, we'll eat our own bread and wear our own apparel because they understand that according to the text, when you're covered under somebody, they feed you, right? And they clothe you. That's what the Most High has been doing to us. What did he do? What did he do? Manna from heaven. <laughs> right? What did he do? What did he do in Zechariah, brothers and sisters? He took off the unfil you know, the unclean garments off of Joshua. And put a fair metri on his head. You see brothers and sisters. The most high is trying to teach you something here. He's saying listen I will clothe you. Okay I will feed you. Alright we're in a covenant. We're in a covenant. 
So this is critical, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Isaiah 61 and 10. Because we started off at a wedding, right? That's when we started off, right, brothers and sisters? That was Matthew. Uh, the wedding crashes, right? Now we're in Isaiah, the 61st chapter, the 10th and 11th verse. Listen closely. Isaiah 61 and 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Look at that again, brothers and sisters. The first thing we learn is that the Most High provides the wedding garment. See, can you read that again? Verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Excuse me. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. What did he do, brother? He had clothed me with the garments of salvation. The granting of salvation and righteousness to God's people is represented by the picture of clothing them. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Look at that. This is a marriage. <laughs> a reason for celebration. A sign of commitment. You see, brothers and sisters? <laughs> It started off at a marriage, and here we are at a marriage again. So there are two significant images in this text. Well, this text and the next one. First is marriage, right? That's what we see in verse 10. Let's read verse 11. Isaiah 61 and 11. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause the righteousness and, to, and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Now look at this. Now we see there's two significant images. Marriage and gardening. Right? 10 is about marriage. 11 is about gardening. What does verse 11 show us? Verse 11 shows us that there's a process of growth in a plant. The bud comes and then it blooms. What is he showing us here? <laughs> Pollinization, right? You see this, brothers and sisters? Fertilization. You see? <laughs> so marriage and fertilization. Let's read those two again from the top. Isaiah 61 and 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments... And as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth. Things that are sown in it to bring forth. We're seeing the, what are we seeing? We're seeing the fertilization, right? The, or what some people call the pollinization, right? And then something comes forth. So first you get the marriage. Then you get the intimacy, brothers and sisters. So the Lord... God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Before all the nations. See, this is what marriage consists of with the Most High, brothers and sisters. And there was a plethora of things that we learned just in these two texts. And number one is that he provides the wedding garments. And when you link that with um, Matthew, the first chapter we went to, excuse me, the verse, first verse we went to, the brother who showed up without his wedding garment on, he didn't have to buy his own garment, brothers and sisters. The garment was, was, was provided. 
So a lot of us have access to salvation, have access to the Bible, have access to the truth, are still are going to show up improperly dressed. Okay? So we have to take our time and re-examine the entire Bible, re-examine our whole spiritual walk, because it's not a game. It's not a game, brothers and sisters. And if you neglect salvation, not reject it, but if you neglect it, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be a high level of consequences, brothers and sisters. And you will not recover from these. You will not. We have a few more scriptures and then we're going to, we're going to bow out. Let's go to Revelations 9 and 7. Revelation, excuse me, 19 and 7. Slap you. Revelation. 19 verse 7 Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready What did that say brother For the marriage of the lamb has come There's that marriage again that marriage and his wife hath made herself ready Now this is key brothers and sisters if you read this entire chapter Revelations the 19th chapter is the announcement that the bride is now ready in the marriage can take place. That's what this entire chapter is. Could you read 7 one more time, brother? Revelation 19 and 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. This marriage supper carries heavy symbolism about the relationship between Christ and his people. Brothers and sisters, it's clear. If you look at these two scriptures again, the the marriage supper of the Lamb is beginning and the bride has attired herself appropriately. Look at it. Could you read that again, brother? From the top? Yes, please. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. The bride hath made herself ready, right? Verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. It was granted. Look at that. Now that word is, is very revealing, brothers and sisters. It was revealing because that means being granted means she was privileged. Okay? That means somebody provided here, right? Verse 8, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now notice, brothers and sisters, how attention is drawn to her preparations. You'll find that we're in the preparatory stages as we speak. The verse, uh, verse 7 said that, let's read verse 7 one more time, brother. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. His wife hath made herself ready. Mm. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 9 and 8. How does she make herself ready? Let's see. Wow. Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter, the eighth verse. Ecclesiastes 9 and 8. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Keeping our garment white means to not be defiled by anything in this world. 
And when it says, let thy head not lack anointment, that's the Holy Spirit. We know when you read the Old Testament, the oil is representation of the Holy Spirit, right? So here is an explicit warning to remain vigilant and diligent concerning separation from sin. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 8, let thy garments be always white and let thy head lack no ointment. Let thy garments be what, brother? Always white. Look at that. So the fullness, brothers and sisters, is <laughs> saying, listen, keep your purity and keep your, your anointment. So the fullness of oil shows being filled with the Holy Spirit. The garments always being white. It's not saying you have to always wear white. This is spiritually, brothers and sisters. He's saying keep your garments clean. Don't be like Joshua in the filthy garments, okay? Don't be like in Zephaniah with the strange apparel. He's saying your garments have to stay pure at all times. Let thy garments be washed and pure from the stain of sin at all times. Why? Because no man ever served God by doing things tomorrow at all times, brothers and sisters. And how do we do that? Let's go to Psalms 119 and 9. Psalms 119 and 9. What does that say, Brother Corey? Psalms 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. By doing what, brother? Taking heed thereto according to thy word. This question contains what? Number one, an admission of need. Number two, a confession of desire. And number three, a suggestion of urgency. Let's listen to it again. Verse 9. <clears throat> wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way admission of need by taking heed thereto according to thy word that's the desire brothers and sisters look at that and he's telling you it's a sense of urgency <laughs> so the impact is clear if you want to cleanse your way then you must also take heed according to God's word so it tells you that the, the woman was arrayed in her fine linen right but she has to keep her fine linen white. Imagine a woman walking down the aisle with ketchup stains and barbecue stains on a white dress. See, brothers and sisters? So the foundation for a morally pure life is found in God's word, according to the psalmist. Let's read that one more time, brother. Psalms 119 and 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How? By taking heed thereto according to thy words. See, so according to the author, a life of moral purity does not happen accidentally. <laughs> See, a person doesn't just stay, you know, pure by accident. You have to, we have to start doing things on purpose. We have to be more intentional, brothers and sisters. That's something the Most High spoke to me personally about years ago, about being more intentional. We need to be intentional. About things that we're doing. Why? Because success is intentional. Brothers and sisters. It's intentional. So we're showing you. Listen. You get the white garment when? Baptism. Right? That's when you get it. You still have to fight off the old man though. You still have to fight off the grave clothes. <laughs> right? You still have to do that. The Bible is also telling you. Make sure you're clean. But when the Messiah comes back, how do I stay clean? Right here. 
Psalms 119, it tells you what? Take heed according to thy word. Let's go to John 1 and 9, and then we'll end it at Proverbs 20 and 30. Because we're trying to find out, according to God, he said take heed to his word on how to stay cleansed. We will do just that. We will do just that. Let's go to 1 John 1 and 9. How do we keep our wedding garments clean? 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Read that one more time, brother. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. According to the author, there's a spiritual connection between confession and cleanliness. Can you read that one more time, brother? 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See that? So according to this passage, forgiveness is conditional. There are contingencies. How do we know? Could you read that? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, so the text teaches us that you can't be forgiven for sins you're unwilling to acknowledge. It says, if we confess our sins. So another way to keep our garments clean is confession of our sins unto the Most High. You see that, brothers and sisters? If you're unwilling to reveal it, he's unwilling to heal it. So we have to know this. Confession. Repentance. This is the way in which we stay clean, brothers and sisters. It, you don't know when he's coming back. You don't know when the bride, bridegroom is coming back. So we it's our job to make sure that we, we get the garment. We keep the garment clean. You have to keep the garment clean, brothers and sisters. And according to Psalms 119 and 9, what happens? He said, in order to keep that garment clean, you have to take heed of my word. And this is what his word says. This is what his word says. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To do what, brother? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's it. Right there, brothers and sisters. This is how you keep your garments clean. This is the preparation for marriage. See? It said the bride or the wife had made herself ready. That's preparation. And that same scripture told you that she was granted to put on the front, the right apparel. Right? And her fine linen, her white fine linen was the righteousness of the saints. So it's clear. The king will clothe you, brothers and sisters. It's your responsibility to keep the clothing clean. We're going to go to Proverbs 20 and 30, and we are going to end. Proverbs, the 20th chapter, the 30th verse. Proverbs 20 and 30. The blueness of a wound cleans cleans away evil. So do stripes the inward parts of the belly. This verse speaks to the reason for discipline. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 30. 
The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. The blueness of a wound. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the author, pain is an efficient deterrent, <laughs> an effective instructor. Why don't you touch fire, brothers and sisters? Because it hurts, right? <laughs> so he said, listen, if I have to lump you up, okay, if I have to light you up to keep you clean, well, listen, I'll do that. <laughs> Read that one more time, brother, please. Proverbs 20 and 30. The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. So do stripes the inward parts of the belly. So the right consequences for our errors can cause us to avoid the same errors in the future. So that means what, brothers and sisters, the most high, if he loves me, if he loves us, you will, you will feel pain, brothers and sisters. You will feel pain. Now, it's probably not going to be physical pain. It's going to be emotional pain. That's, that's how he gets you, brothers and sisters. When things just go wrong, it tells you the blueness of a wound. If you continue to hit a person, it becomes blue, brothers and sisters, right? So he's saying that will cleanse away evil. That will have your evil go away. <laughs> and we all know that our people need to be hit a multitude of times. He's just telling you, like, this is the way. Take heed to my word. Confess your sins and understand that I'm going to physically chastise you when you go off. This is how I keep you clean. This is how I keep you ready. Matter of fact, let's go to Revelations 3 and 5. Let's go here and end it. Revelations, the third chapter, the fifth verse. Revelation 3 verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raven. And I will and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Look at that, brothers and sisters. He that overcometh what, brother? He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. He will be clothed in his right raiment, his white raiment. Now that's critical. Because he's telling you that only those who overcome will keep their garment clean. See, that's why we went into those last three to four scriptures about how to keep the garment clean. It's going to get spotted, but do you know how to clean it? That's the key. That is the key, brothers and sisters. Verse five. <clears throat> he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That's crystal clear. You see that, brothers and sisters? Zephaniah told us what? Hold your peace in the presence of the king. This text is telling you very clearly, like Matthew said, the brother was speechless when the Most High inquired about his lack of wedding garment. Your garment is going to do all the speaking for you. You see that? So if you have a white garment... You have your wedding apparel on and it's white. There will be nothing to say. You've passed, my son. But if you come in some other garment that's not white, there will be no explanation, brothers and sisters. That will be all that he needs to know. That will be all that he needs to know. And now you deal with the repercussion. Now you deal with the repercussions. So, brothers and sisters, the title of today's lesson was what? The wedding crashes. 
We wanted to show, we wanted to use a, utilize the Bible to show how imperative, how important clothing is in the Bible. The metaphor, the imagery of clothing, it tells us a myriad of things. It teaches us a myriad of principles, brothers and sisters. And it's not just about physical clothes. Yeah, we, we learn about physical clothes, right, also. But now you're learning how to read the Bible. You're learning about what's going to be required, brothers and sisters. We all have the invitation. We all have an invitation. But we have to be properly dressed. So from now until then, brothers and sisters, you have to dodge the dirt. You have to dodge the dirt. And when it happens, when, when you do get a little on you, you have to find out how to cleanse it. That answer is in the Bible and only in the Bible, brothers and sisters. So we encourage our brothers and sisters to think about the things they learn. Um, internalize what they've learned today and deal with its application until the time of the Messiah. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.